Hey there, everybody. Uh, this is Kyle Cardi of Roleplay. Just wanted to jump in really quick here in the beginning. Uh, my microphone was giving me a bit of guff while we were setting up for this panel. Uh, long story short, we missed basically just the introductions. So in addition to my uh, lovely velvety voice, um, you will be hearing the voices of Andreas Walters uh, of Metal Weave Games. Um, he is known for the baby bestiary, uh, so if you like that, uh, he will be he will be talking. Um, he will be the first one speaking after me, uh, and then also on the panel. And these two are going to be a lot harder to to pick out. Um, is Douglas Cole uh, and Jason Andrew of the uh, IGDN. So I just wanted to sort of get on the record here really quickly and let you know who was on the panel. And uh, if you couldn't, you know, read the, the title or you're just listening to this blind, uh, this was the uh, Breaking Into the RPG Industry panel at Gen Con uh, 2017. And please forgive uh, some of the air conditioner hum uh, and also maybe the gigantic train sounds. The uh, recording environment was not super duper sterile. It's primed and... There we go, man. <laughs> All right. Well, good thing it missed all the introductions, so yeah. we'll actually know who we are, except by the repetition of our voices. Um, so let's get started. Um, so different kind of work in the RPG industry. Um, for me, I started packing. Um, I started working on a, a system that existed and built out from there. And then when I felt comfortable enough with my design skills and had a kind of like a proto project. I went to Kickstarter and just launched it. Like, it was a crapshoot in the dark. And I'm surprised it funded. It funded in the last, like, week or in the last few days. Like, I was like, should I put my own money into this to make it succeed? Like, I know that's a no-no, no, no, like, but, like, it's that close. Right. Like, should I do it? And it eventually tipped over, which was amazing. But, like, after that, there's a ton of learning experiences from that, too. Um... I do my own writing, and I absolutely suck at it, so I absolutely need an editor to look over anything I try to publish, because even when I sign things, I will spell things wrong, no apostrophes, like, I am a, a train wreck when it comes down to editing, so. Yeah, I, that's super duper important. Mm -hmm. No matter how good <laughs> you think you are at writing, your editor, get one, and let them tear it apart, because... It's not that good on the first shot. Right. It's going to take multiple revisions. Otherwise, you're going to go to market with something substandard, and you want to look good. And, yeah, and if you think to yourself, oh, I can edit this myself and save money, you're wrong. Flat out, you're wrong. Um, especially find an editor who hates what you do. Right? <laughs> Seriously, right? If I'm going to write a crunchy GURPS supplement, I want someone who does story games. right? Or else I'm writing to this tiny little sliver of market and maybe someone who does na a lot of narrative stuff will say, okay, great, you just slammed all this dice rolling, but where's my plot? Where's my story? And you may say, I don't want to do that, but you better do it consciously and realize that you're limiting the appeal of your game. But your editor should be like the Star Trek mirror universe evil guy who also knows grammar and syntax and has memorized the style manual and all that stuff. Uh, because you really want or someone... Or helps you develop start, a style manual Or well. helps you develop one. Yeah, I did a little style guide for... Well, most of a formatting guide. But yeah. Mm -hmm. But, God, editing is so important. Yeah, I can't iterate that enough yeah. for my own work. Mm -hmm. um, you got to be as far as the, uh, the actual creation, as far as that goes, and also, also any rules that you also write as well? Any rules? <laughs> if... 
even if it's for an existing system, that might not be. I mean, you definitely want an editor to take a pass on it just to make sure that the rules are clear. But you're also and consistent. But you're gonna want to test it. If so what we do, um, we we publish these huge games that, um, like, if you've seen our werewolf game, it's it's bigger than a baby's arm. It's it's thick. Oddly <laughs> specific. Sort of. So we have a process um, that uh, kind of works off the Scrum model. So um, I might hire eight pro- eight writers for a project, and then I'll have an editor and an assistant editor, and then I'll have a think tank. And it might be that um, on a given chapter, they'll work on ten different powers, and that might go through five or six revisions with the writer until I'm happy with it. And then it'll go to the think tank, which which I like to call the, the tank of hate. Um, all, all of the gamers that you know that think they know everything, that's where you put them. And they like kind of, you know, they review it, they go through, you, you run through. And then once I'm done, I'm happy with it, then I send it to editing. Um, I disagree with you on the um, having them be the opposite. Um, I hire uh, technical editors. Um, some of them don't even necessarily... Um, and what's a technical editor? Just yeah, to, no, and, that's, uh, and that's fair, because uh, yeah. there's, there's, yeah. there's style um, editing and there's content editing. So, so a technical so. editor and a technical writer um, work um, kind of in the business world where they, um, they make sure that instructions are clear. Um, so like... Um, if you've worked on any software, if you've played with like Microsoft Word, for example, you've probably read some of my technical writing because I did the technical writing for like early versions of Word or um, some of the Amazon stuff. If you work on Amazon Web Services, you'll see their instructions on how to do things, and they have to hire people to write them and edit them and stuff like that. Um, so really what usually a tech writer or a technical editor is, is a um, they're a kind of gun-for-hire for a specific type of editing. And they look for templating in the wording, they look for structure, that sort of thing. Um, so for example, for By Night, um, our lead editor is uh, Jennifer Smith. Um, her day job is, um, she is the legal technical editor for the Arizona Law Review, which means that every judge everywhere in, in Arizona and you can imagine the shady shit that like Vegas has caused for their laws. <laughs> She's in charge of editing all that so that there's a concise, clear wording for everything. Um, so what what I recommend is that you have like um, rather than than try to go for like the one or two big thing, to go for the tiny iterations and then to jump and go through the loop until you're happy with it. And also that's like project ready thing so like when we're developing a project you know like if we want to make an rpg like right off the bat i like personally like to share it like i have a close group of people that i share my ideas with and have them review over and some of them catch all my grammar problems too which is a different like they criticize me for it because he's like foreign and like i'm working on my english as much as i can and like mine yeah and mine's not helping um (laughs) but like having that close group to like bounce off saying what they like they don't like because i know like for my non-player cards we went through a lot of iterations on like what this what the eight different types are what the what the different facets of the character are that we can make 50 cards for to make interesting characters and just having that back and forth with a reliable person is extremely helpful but what point do you think you start to bring in that editor is that once you think you have that concept nailed down or what do you um, think? 
you you only do it when you get to the midpoint in production. Otherwise, you're wasting money. Right. Um, if you have ten drafts that you're going to have to go through, you don't have the editor review on draft three. You have it at draft eight or nine, and you make sure that um, you make sure that they produce a style guide. Um, are you guys familiar with that? Style guide lists off um, all of the wording. Um, kind of your like if you have unique definitions, like if we're if we're creating a game and we say okay, ennui is a special term, then we need to make sure that that term's used correctly everywhere in the document. You you have to have you know that particular discussion. You have to have the templating discussion. So um, for an example, for vampire, we use the phrase um, spend a blood and expend a simple action to do X, and we need the language consistent. Um, the more the language is consistent for powers and for different things, the easier it is for players to remember, the easier it is for them to walk through stuff. So you want to walk, once once you've done through the majority of the development and you've made those decisions, which usually have come somewhere in the middle of it, you want to make sure you have a list of, okay, you need to do this, we need to make sure this is consistent. And you walk through with the style guide, the editor will go through and they'll check everything. Can I jump in on this? Yeah. So... <clears throat> If you're looking to write for an existing product and not create your own from scratch, because I don't know which of you want to make your own, which of you want to write for your favorite role-playing game, like he's saying, you might not have the style guide for an existing product in front of you. The most important thing you can do is read their content and match their parlance. You need to have it exactly how they're sort of doing it. I mean, not super duper because no one can do that without the style guide right in front of them and even sometimes that's not always the case but you want to like if it's you know fifth edition dungeons and dragons you want to make your monster stat blocks look like fifth edition monster stat blocks you want to understand like when to say this power recharges after a short or long rest like you have to match the style otherwise people who are used to that system are going to have a tough time with what you're writing the, the code name for that is templating, by the way. That's the shorthand. Yeah. One, one last comment. Some company, like Steve Jackson Game, has a WYSIWYG style guide you can download. If you do not file it, that is a barrier to entry, and they will not take your stuff because you will be a hard edit. They're on a shoestring budget. GURPS is 1% to 4% of the market at best. Right? There's Chrome and there's Steven, and that's it. And so if you're writing for those guys and you submit a manuscript or an idea to Pyramid or a book, and it doesn't comport with their rules of how to write, you are deeply doomed. I just because, delete those submissions. Right, yeah. right. So Pinnacle then, is the same I way I deleted 20 of them this morning because right. so they didn't follow right. the process. If you can't follow directions, yeah. you're going to be hard to work with. And if you're hard to work with, you're not going to yeah. be smooth. And mo it's all upfront cost, right, mm -hmm. mostly. Yeah. Right? All the stuff that happens, and I was shocked at how much like, especially when people yell about PDF versus print. Oh, why are you charging so much for the PDF? All the work is in the PDF. When you want to print, you send the that's PDF the cheap part. to the right. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's, so, that's the, that's I mean, the, yeah. Anyway, requires so cash up front. sometimes downloadable. Um, yeah. And, and if you can ask the company, hey, I'd like to write for you. Can I have your style guide? They may say, prove yourself first, or they may email to you. But yeah. reach out and ask. When all fails, ask for directions. <laughs> <laughs> if you can find an email address... I would say email them. That's how I got my start because just talk to people. This is a very important first step, but you got to follow through on it. You have to talk to the people you want to work for. 
one last point about that. I, I know that IGGN published my style guide online somewhere. Um, I, it, it was available. So, but one of the reasons why, like Steve Jackson Games or myself, send out a style guide that's usually a word template, they'll just import that into InDesign and make life easier. It's not easy. It's easier. Mm-hmm. And that's the other reason why, if you don't follow the style guide, you just created a monumental amount of work for the layout. Yeah. Guide. So what what he's talking about <laughs> specifically um, is um, so when you're when you're writing in Word, for an example, which is usually the standard, um, there are different headers and there are different um, headers, different things you can do um, to make it easier when you import it into <coughs> InDesign. So if, for an example, you're going to send me a chapter, I'm going to want all the header twos to be a certain thing all the header threes to be a certain thing. I'm going to want italicized to, to be a certain... It might be that uh, I want it in brackets. It might be I want it in a particular way. And that's because the developer has, with the layout guy, an arrangement. And the layout guy is like, I will charge you X if you do it this way, and I will charge you Y if you do it this way. And if you don't do it within those barriers, then you're useless um, in that you'll, you'll cost him twice or maybe three times as much. Manual and, work is yeah. not fun. I do all my layout in manual, pretty much. But oh, really? That's because my books are only a hundred pages. So, <laughs> see, I have a, I have an easier time because um, we have a, we have a, both the style guide and a template. Mm-hmm. And uh, if our writers can't hack the template, I just say, well, sorry. Um, yeah. yeah. Sorry. I, I think that's it, a question. Oh, sorry. That, oh, I, you answered my question. Oh. It, was, it was like. How how typically easy is it to get a style guide from a from a publisher? Like, or is it harder to get it from the bigger guys like Wizards? A little easier. To Almost get impossible it. to get it from okay. Wizards. So that's what um, I well, there's Someone's there's two different there's two different now. aspects. There's the submission guidelines, mm-hmm. um, and those those are if they're open, those are pretty easy to get. The actual style guides um, sometimes are trade secret. Or yeah, um, mm-hmm. trade secret because <laughs> it looks so good and it reads so easy. Right? Yeah. Um, but for other companies like Savage Worlds is pretty open. Savage Worlds is, is right there. If you don't file uh, follow the style guide, combine the words there, um, they ain't gonna read it. But yeah, they're pretty open though, like in terms of licensing, in terms of like talking to them, like what to do, what not to do, and they've got a really good super community. duper duper nice people. Oh yeah, and and that's the majority of the industry. Yeah, it's like mostly nice people, and you'll know the not nice people pretty quickly. Like Catalyst Game Labs, they give you a template and they give you like a little style guide and basically they're like, if you do not turn it in like this, you will not get further work. You had a question? Well, more it based based on what you've been saying, it sounds like there's almost like no excuse for like, if like say you have individual people working on individual chapter, if they have that and they have that guide, there's almost no excuse for things being drastically different. The reason I'm doing it is I'm pulling an example from a... Um, Mummy the Curse source book, it was, I believe it was the second source book, where it was very clear different people worked on different chapters because it was not uniform. It was not uniform. They, like, certain bits of information in some chapters were just completely absent in other chapters and just did not follow a similar flow. It was just now was I, so I haven't, jarring. I haven't read that particular book, <laughs> so I can't critique that particular <laughs> book. Um, but solely based on your information, um, I would yell at the developer. That's the developer. The developer of a book, his job is to make sure that every chapter conforms with the vision of the book, the, the outline of the book. Um, he or she should have outlined the book, should have given all those templates. 
Um, I wouldn't say that was a, a writer fault at all. Yeah, no, no, and then the editor too, who's um, be like, "This is weird." Project lead. Well, the editor takes the lead from the from the developer from, yeah. in my experience. Yeah. Um, so that, that was just an interesting thing because I wasn't sure like where that kind of communication might have broken down from. So um, the developers should have been the final person to ask and say. But. There's a um, there's a number of different styles when putting together a book. Mm -hmm. um, it used to be years and years ago that. Um, the developer would write an outline, hire writers, say, okay, you guys are my writers. You, your chapter one, your chapter two, your chapter three, you guys go off, do your own thing, come back, and then I'll do some magic and we'll do, we'll tie it all together. Um, that was before the internet. <laughs> um, so um, by night we use a uh, scrum system where um, I assigned sprints. Would you mind explaining that? Because you yeah. used it Scrum twice is a, in a row. project okay. management style. Um, yeah. uh, it's a, specifically a software style. Yeah. Um, when, when programmers and developers are uh, putting together um, an application, like, say, Word, yeah. um, obviously they have to break down and they have to say, okay, you write the jar part, you write this part, you write this part. And every so certain amount of time, we have to all check in because your code has to match with what you're doing, and you have to, we all have to check in. We have to do all tests. The variables and references yeah. have to mm -hmm. line up, or else everything breaks. <laughs> so what we do is uh, the developer sets an outline, uh, determines the word count, um, makes the kind of core decisions, um, and then we do we do assignments. So I might say, okay, for sprint one, which might be two weeks, I need you to write ten powers. I need you to write ten powers, and I need you to write ten powers for chapter three. And then during the week they'll talk, or during the sprint they'll talk. Every week we'll have a meetup, and then these two guys might be like, "Hey, I've, I've come up with a ninja power that does this," and they'll go, "Wait, my, that contradicts mine." And there's discussions, and then I you did do that too. <laughs> yeah, you do iterations, and then at the end of the sprint you have the developer review, and you kind of go through there. Um, and there's a there's like a hundred different ways to skin that cat. That's the one I prefer, but I know that there's a lot of other different ones. Uh, there's like the committee style. There's yeah, there's any number of different ways. It um, depends on how much control you want and have over the project. Because sometimes, like, I know for, like, the baby bestiary, I wrote, like, I had the outline of the project done. Like, here are your headers, and here are how many words the whole thing's going to have. Here are minimum word counts for each of these sections. Here are optional bits. Uh, has to fit on one page. And here's the voice that I want and some of the required information that has to be in there, whether it's specific to each beast. Go forth and be free, and then they submit it back. I review it, redline it, send it to an editor, and then go from there. Yeah, for me, being, and I think I'm just a step down from you in terms of number of employees in the project, but it's just kind of me, right? And so, for what I did, you know, I did the writing and tried the project tonight, but like, you know, lay out and I outsource what I, what I can. Um, for the Venture Beyond, which is a project I'm working with David Pulver, he's doing the writing, and then I'm reviewing it as kind of like a, well, does this make sense? Are you going to irritate players? Is it too hard? And we've been iterating on that for a while. But if you're really tiny and you're doing all the work, then it, it becomes a little bit easier. Um, but if you're going to interface with a larger company, then you need to understand how they work mm -hmm. so that you can make yourself compatible because there are plenty of people who will do that work and be compatible. Uh, and if you're like, well, I'm just too creative to be compatible with you, or you can be creative somewhere else. Yeah. It's real, um, real, real straightforward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know when I did Monty Cook Games stuff, um, I was on top of every Numenera release there was. I mean, I've kind of fallen off now that I've done my own publishing stuff. 
Um, so I kind of, if I want to go back, I have to catch up on all the content they've created since then. Um, but like knowing exactly how everything works, how the system was designed, even kind of understanding the theory on why they made certain decisions. Like I introduced something, if any of you are familiar with um, Numenera's GM Intrusion, where the DM says, here's a point of XP. Now I get to do something to you that you have to react to. Um, it's not just one monster, it's two monsters. Um, and they get to react, and so it's like, oh, what if the player gets to intrude something and say, like, hey, what if I spend XP and say, what if I want something to go my way? You know, like, can that be allowed? And for some people, the feedback was, ooh, that's that's kind of edgy, and that's cool, but it would probably be better if Money Cook Games did that. Because it was, like, skirting the edge of the right, rule right. system and what their system allows. And so I kind of got not a lot of flack. It was like one page of an idea that works if done right. And, you know, if people don't want to use it, it's fine. Uh, you have a question. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering about the right balance between pitching and protecting your intellectual property. Um, if you have an idea for a game and kind of the scope and everything like that, you want to get feedback. Does this sound good? Does this sound like something that fits? Versus going so far as to possibly give your idea away. And the second, I guess, related part of that is if you're then working with um, a company or a developer, do they want do they want to have a certain amount of control over the development and testing? Like, should you have stopped? What, where's where's the place to stop? <laughs> so, so this is the the first thing that I this question comes up a lot, mm-hmm. and and don't take this personally. Um, no one wants to steal your ideas. No <laughs> one wants to steal anyone's ideas. Um, there. Hold on, just as a test. How many ideas for games do you have right now? Like 30. I don't have, well, I have like two game ideas, but I have like six product ideas because I don't make games. Yeah. Um, Everyone everyone who's in this industry has kind of their own ideas. Um, It goes into the the fiction. I get it for like the editing and stuff I do and stuff like that. Um, You shouldn't worry about, about that in particular. What you should worry about are, are my ideas good enough that they would be interested? If they're interested... And you're and you're halfway competent. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a shortage. I, I I'll be flat out. I, like I have been searching for like five different roles um, for different things. It's it. There's a shortage in the market of competent people who aren't embarrassments on social media. Who um, <laughs> um, who we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. It's been um, real this year um, on social media. Anyone anyone that that is competent and is willing to actually work and actually do the thing that they say they are like worth their weight in gold. Um, uh, the, the, the really tricky way is what path to take. Uh, I recommend the hybrid path, which is doing your own thing, do-it-yourself products, and then trying to get freelance into the various things. Um, the metaphor is uh, you, learn to, you learn to maintain a house by painting someone else's house, and then you build your own. Um, and, and there's so much opportunity right now um, Especially now, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. A, it's a boom year for the RPG industry. It's Kickstarter's hotter than it's been ever wonderful. Been. Yeah, I mean, it's it is amazing. Like, like, like I know of several like where they're they're actively looking for people because there's just not enough people. So, um, like, a big thing is also like, who do you share your ideas with? Is it another developer? Like, you know, what's your relationship with that person? Because if it's like. You're talking to a publisher, like if I'm talking to Wee Beasties, who is like a competitor product to me, and they kind of pitch something to me, it's kind of like, oh, that's what they're doing, but 
I'm doing, like, I'm planning on doing storybooks. They already have storybooks, but, so I'm already kind of directly competing with them in a weird way. Um, and so that's an awkward conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, actually, as a side note, um, when you're talking about pitching your ideas, if you want to pitch your game to a different company, um, I can think of like twice in the last 15 years that's happened. Um, no one wants to buy your particular idea for a game. Um, if you have a like, if you have a vision for the the murder monkeys, and that that is your passion. You're better off doing it as a do-it-yourself, yeah. And to start especially off now with the um, rise of Kickstarter, yeah, uh, Kickstarter and POD printing, like print-on-demand products, this is the time. Uh, one of the big boys is not going to to pick one person and be like you. I mean, I mean, it's happened. I mean, it's happened a couple of times in like 15 years that I know of. But other than that, um, if the the way to pitch is, I want to be a freelance and make my name in Shadowrun. Or Call of Cthulhu, or D and D, or you know whatever, and, and then I want to do my own projects like the hybrid model. So with pitching, because I know you had some questions about that, um, I have a background in uh, television production and screenwriting and the like. Basically, the best advice that I can give for anyone who wants to pitch something, whether it's your own system or just an adventure or any content, it's called the elevator pitch. You want to have Something that is going to hook the person's interest in about the length of time that you will have them in an elevator. So very short, very sweet. And then if they're hooked, you come in with a slightly more robust pitch, but you always want to have multiple outs. They're referred to chances for them to say, at this point uh, in the pitch, I'm going to back off because it's not quite for me. You don't want to just dump everything. And so it'll keep gonna, changing, too. Yeah. And I, I want to cop... Uh, not cop, that's the wrong thing. Cop. I'm about to say something, and it kind of contradicts <laughs> what he said, but I want you to know, I will likely not succeed in the project that I'm about to talk about. <laughs> There's mm-hmm. a reason, mm. right? So David Pulver, uh, 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 Big Eyes, Small Mouth, Gerbs Vehicles, mm-hmm. comes to me and says, I have the rights to publish these sort of adventures, right? And that I... Whatever. So I'd like to do it through you because I, can't, I don't want to or can't do it through other people. I was like... Well, you know, the IP that involves that is kind of a mess. Why don't we do our own system? So he's writing a system. He's brought it to me. I'm going to try and recoup my investment, and then most of the money and royalties are going to go to him. So I'm trying to do something a little different. That, because that's a I different have, scenario, though. Okay, fair enough. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a licensing and, and a, in, an internal thing. And that sort of thing happens all the time. Right. But someone, someone brand new experience. that's not Monty Cook yeah. like, <laughs> says, hey, I have this idea for monkeys, the murderer. Invisible um, monkeys. No. They're going to be like, we have twelve different things we can't get to, you know. Um, and I and I don't want to hurt. I, I don't want to hurt your feelings. I don't want to. Um, and if you have a brilliant idea for an RPG, you should Share be working it. on it. Mm-hmm. You should be working on it. You should be getting testers. You should be getting, you know, building it up. My point in the model that I'm doing is what I'm trying to do is provide a skill set. You might be a great writer. Mm-hmm. I hope you're a great writer. Um, you might hate talking to people. I love talking to people. You might have you might you might be a great project manager. You might be a great art director. You might be all the things needed to run a game, or you might be a great writer. So what I'm trying to do is yeah. facilitate. I'll 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 try and structure your Kickstarter. I've got the spreadsheet. I've got the whatever. I've done it once, so I'm new. Fine, but you know, but that's but I but I've done role playing once. But I routinely source five million dollars of very complex 
vacuum deposition equipment with way more moving parts than a role-playing game. They're different parts, and don't mistake familiarity in one area with another, but business is basically business. You have to be good at structure. You have to be good at communication. You have to be direct. You have to be straightforward. You have to be terse. If someone doesn't respond to your email, email them again. Yes. Like, if I, forget to, if I forget to pay one of my writers, please reach please out to me. me right? Don't, yeah. like, vent on social media. Let me know if I right. forgot, because I will um, pay you. Not, <laughs> not the next day. Not yeah. the next day, Never. but, like, a week or two. Yeah. Speaking of, of social media, did we answer your question? You, you, yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so the first thing I do when I get a pitch or a writer, an editor, whatever, I do a Google spider search where I look for their name, I look for them on, on, on Twitter. I look for them on Facebook. Um, so I'm going to give you an example from about two and a half months ago. Um, gentleman gentleman um, pitches me, um, tells me I'm wonderful, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, oh, okay. I'm do a search. By the way, there are different levels of Facebook, just so you know. Mm -hmm. If you pay Facebook, you can look at stuff. Like if you pay for advertising and stuff like that, mm -hmm. there's there's special searches. So I search for this gentleman. I'm not naming him. Um, and and the exact quote was uh, Jason Andrew made me feel like he crept into my house in the middle of Christmas and shit into my children's mouth. I did not hire this gentleman. <laughs> um, but he was specifically angry over werewolf and like you know um, every. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, yeah. Odd uh, touchstone. It's stuck in my memory. It's like it's happened once before. <laughs> mm. um, so, so <laughs> for really me, um, every time, every time someone like gives me a card or whatever, I look, and if I see that you engage in flame wars, if I see that you're bitching about someone not paying you, and or if I see you acting like. Um, How you represent yourself in the community? Yes, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to name names, but there's a lot of people doing really bad stuff right now who should know no. better. <laughs> um, well, um, Ken Height, um, I'm working with him right now. Um, he's a good guy. Um, but um, look up Zach Smith. <laughs> That's what I was. He's, yeah. he's the example of what not to do, you know. Or um, David Hill, another good example of. Probably a way not to get into into the industry. In, incendiary and just um, very not good people. Now, perhaps these people are better people than I am, but I have people I downright loathe in the industry because I just don't like them. I mean, we sometimes people just don't get along. Yeah. You'll never find out who they are from any of my social because it's unprofessional. Mm -hmm. And you never know. I might have to work with them one day. Mm -hmm. One day someone might say, Here's a lot of money, Jason. I want you to work on this project that's troubled. Mm -hmm. And I'll look at the other people on that and be like, oh, this is going to be rough. But I need the money. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, you never know what bridge you're going to burn. Yeah. And, and every time I look, I look up their name, yeah. and, and roughly a third of the time it's, <clears throat> I hate blah, blah, blah rule, and this developer is a dumbass. And I will straight up ask other people what they think of people that yeah. might be hiring me or I might be considering contracting for freelance because the industry is very small and it is very tightly knit. I've only been doing this for about two years and I know a lot of folks now and folks talk. Right. And Facebook connections. Yeah, right. That's how I got on this <laughs> panel. I, yeah, exactly. I friended uh, Andres and he was like, oh, I need some help on a panel. And I said, yo, let me in. And, and it's amazing the kind of stuff that builds, right? So I started a blog, and I'm like, hey, I want to do some video interviews. And I 
emailed Sean Punch, who I've been friends with for a while, played some video games with him and stuff, and I'm like, hey, I want to do my first firing squad interview with you as the GURPS line editor, so blah, 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 we talk. I'm like, who should I do next? And someone says, oh, you should talk to Ken Hyde. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, great there's gentleman. no possible. He's really cool ridiculously guy. cool. Uh, the way to talk to Ken is you ask him a question, then shut up. <laughs> <laughs> because he is so erudite. Anyway, I'm, di- I'm digressing. So I, so I emailed him. I'm like, hey, you know, can I, can, would you mind spending some time with me? I'd like to interview you. And he said, oh, sure, Doug, I know you from the GURPS thing. I had done an article or whatever. And it was, it was instant. It was, yes, absolutely, I'll do that. And I did what I did. We talked for two hours. It was a ridiculous interview, and it was awesome. But then later on, as I'm working on Dragon Heresy, which is my big 400,000 word thing, I'm like, I need it. I want an editor. I want a good editor. I was like, I wonder if Ken's interested. And sure as hell, he's like, yes, I am. Especially since I offered him, as he said, an adult wage. It's a penny <coughs> industry. Find out what the market rates are. That is your job as a professional. Find out what people are being going to be paid, and make sure you don't offer. One Kevin cent Crawford sent half a cent or whatever, yeah. right? Half a cent a word, That's ridiculous. right? Yeah. You know, there's I mean, people who find do it. Out. There, there's a list, and I'm going to let you guys. As I'm going to sign homework. Find, there's a list yeah. that people compile about what people pay. I think it's on the EN World forums. Oh, yeah. I, you can, I, I want to help no, them because starting is hard. But find out what people pay for editing. Find out what people pay for writing. Understand what your budget is. Mm-hmm. It's okay to offer less, but don't offer less to a superstar. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15 cents to 10 cents depending on I mean that's what I've seen for like uh, uh, Schwab yeah. or even like BJ Hensley I mean, per word Rob so, Schwab is oh, okay. so some, oh. some of them are per word some of them are full product like I when I do a, a one sheet for Pinnacle they just give me 50 bucks uh, when <clears throat> when I do something for like a slang design base raiders product that's 2 cents a word because it's a smaller group. Um, but then if you're like working with Lewis Porter Jr., it's like half a cent a word and openly admitting that he knows he's paying people low and he's fine with it because it's it's his product and that's his right. But it's also your right as a writer to say, that's not for that's me. Not for me right? I want more money because I believe that my writing is better than that. And yeah. Fred pays like some, some places are moving more to a X amount per project like you were saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I don't get paid by the word for by night. I get a certain amount and a certain amount of the Kickstarter, certain, you know, however that goes. Um, but uh, but I wanted to slip into, uh, Neil Gaiman has this uh, uh, triangle for the freelancers. Um, you gotta be good. You gotta, you gotta be on time. And you gotta be pleasant. And if you can't be all three, at least do two. Because <laughs> um, I might work with someone that's not all that pleasant, but he's really good and he's on time. I might deal with someone that's pleasant, but maybe is a little late sometimes. And that gets into searching. Because like when I started working with David, I was like, yeah, I really want to work with him. But I've also seen some of the play tests go on and on and on. So I knew I was going to get into schedule trouble, and I did. <laughs> and I did. What was supposed to be three weeks is now three or four or five months. But I knew that getting into it. right? I knew that I was going to get something cool at the end, but... I was not going to be sending him an email every day or every week saying, where is it, where is it, where is it, where is it? Because yep. he will freak out and shut down. <laughs> and, right? And, and creatives can do that. Mm-hmm. And I mean that in the nicest possible way. But creativity, wild creativity is not, I am going to follow the code exactly. Right? It, it's, you, you have to be it's careful. It's a fickle thing. It's yeah. a fickle thing. So if, you know, 
forbid you are late or behind schedule on a product, the, the absolute Absolutely. worst thing you can do is clam up. This is, for a lot of us, it's part-time freelance work. For some of us, it's a full-time job. But the most important thing is to just say, hey, listen, like... I'm running late. I'm running late. Here was a complication. Like, don't give an excuse. It's okay to give a reason, but don't look for, like, the, the pity party. That, and that only works if you do it early. Mm-hmm. If, if you know two weeks into a four-week project, oh, it's going to take me another week, just say, hey, I need another week. Um, and if they ask questions more, you know, great, but... If you tell me on the very last day you need another couple weeks, I'm going to fire your ass and, and replace you with someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a forgiving industry, provided you are on time. You know, like on time with your, I'm going to be late. Yeah, yeah. So, and, I mean, the, 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 the unforgivable, so game mastering and business have one thing in common. Fail to meet expectations and your players will flip the table over. Fail to meet expectations. If I set out a game and I'm, we're going to do a hack and slash game, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going to do bait and switch. We're going to do a romantic comedy, and whatever it is that you built your characters on are are, are irrelevant. <laughs> You're going to be staring at an empty table, right? If I'm like, oh, I'm going to deliver you this product in one week, and a year later I'm still taking photographs somewhere, you're gone because you failed to meet expectations. If you're like, but- but if you say like halfway through, you're yeah. like, or like you know, you're, you're I'm early in, in trouble, or uh, right. mm-hmm. this is going to take me longer, you know, right. things like that. Uh, totally, everyone. Right. I don't know anyone that wouldn't be understanding, mm-hmm. because they can prepare and they can do. Delay but if you're, but like if I'm on a tight right. deadline and I'm like, oh, and he tells me, well, I need two or three more weeks, and I'm like, how much do you have done? And he's like, well. Ten percent. Gen yeah. cons in two weeks. I kind of right. need it now. I'm gonna, um, <laughs> give me I'm what you know have. He's untrustworthy. <laughs> And I'm not going to hire him again. I may just drop him and be like, all right, guy, I need you to do this emergency thing. <laughs> I have an emergency project one week. Right. Oh, yeah. pickup work is like 60% of what I do. Someone fails, oh, and right. in my circles, I've developed the reputation of the graphic designer that can get it done in a week. Nice. And um, right. like, I did something three days before Gen Con. I did a, like a 120-page layout, and that person is now talking me up. So I expect that that might have a return in the future because if you're early and you're quality, like if the deadline is the 20th and you come in on the 11th and say, hey, I'm done and it's good, they're going to remember that. Mm -hmm. One one last point on this. Um, I'll probably throw in many more points. Um, (laughs) Understand critical path. If that rings a bell to you, good. If it doesn't, it's a project management term that says it's the chain of events that has the longest duration. You better understand what needs mm-hmm. to follow what and how that goes because if something on your critical path is late, you have dorked everything up after that. Mm-hmm. And if you don't pad it, the, the rule of thumb is at least 50% longer than you think. And in create, and I, I do... Actuality, that's pretty true. <laughs> and, and, that, and the reason it's... it's and the reason it's a rule of thumb is because it's most frequently, it has a long tail. Mm-hmm. It has a long tail, especially in the creative industry. If you're doing manufacturing or something like that, sometimes it can be relatively, you know what the cycle of learning is. You know, It's going to take me three weeks to do a prototype, and maybe it'll go two iterations instead of one, or three instead of one. You know what the cycle is. Creative, creativity can get messy. messy. Yeah. Uh, but know what your critical path is. If you can't go to layout until you have a final editing, then your editing better be on time or you better understand it. If you have a window of time to get your layout guy, and after that he goes to Europe for six weeks, you better understand what you're going to do and have a backup plan. Mm-hmm. And um, just as a, like a solo creator, like 
picking the stuff up on your own. Like for me personally, when I start working on a project, I actually do layout and write. I write in InDesign because I know my grammar sucks anyways. Um, oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my god! I, I, I think I think graphically. So okay. I don't remember Baby Bestiary. I only wrote the creator's note. <laughs> All right. Okay. Everything else is other people's writing that I acquire and. InDesign is a nightmare it, for anyone who wants to be a graphic designer. The <laughs> Adobe Suite is a real mess, <laughs> but you need it. Like yeah, exactly. Kit. So like I work. I work in InDesign, so I understand and can tweak with what my project will look like. And I actually go through several iterations of layout design because I want it to look good. Mm-hmm. And so I'll go through at least two weeks of layout iterations as I'm. As someone else is working on writing or while I'm getting writing in. Because this may not be the final writing, but at least I know what it will look like when I get the final piece in there. It'll help you get like a rough estimate, exactly. that, that gauge where... I know what my sidebars will look like and how much space it takes. I know how much space I'm going to need for an image. And then when I commission an artist to make it, I can give them the White exact dimension. or gray boxing. Um, I actually, my understanding is that is not always done, but I love to do layout I first. <laughs> I, I love to do layout first, and then I put the art holes are part of it, and then I literally have a spreadsheet that says, "Here's the art hole size. This is what's on the page." I send the artist the page. Mm-hmm. And say, this oh, so is they what's can on fill it. it in. And I say, you know, this is kind of what I'm thinking for this page. If you have a brilliant idea, tell me because you'll be more amazing than I am. But if you're lacking ideas. Try and use this. Here's a concept that illustrates something on the page. It's not always done that way, this way. I, I tend to write rules-heavy stuff, so I like to illustrate the rules concept or whatever on the page. But and especially when yeah. going to Kickstarter, like for me, like all my products are very graphics-heavy. So like it's all pictures. Like a, I would say two thirds of my budget is art, but that's my project specific. I mean that's Baby Bestiary, and that's the cost involved with making Baby Monsters cute. Um, but for other projects, like have have that upfront writing, especially when you're going to Kickstarter. Like you want something to show off for, you want something to, for people to play with. Um, graphics, you should have a few. You don't need the entire book illustrated. You just need key pieces of art. It could be Baby Vester. I kickstarted with three pictures. Um, non-player cards, I had probably like twelve. You need. Um, you need. You, you need graphics. Need, you need graphics, and it is important. But you don't need all the graphics. You mm-hmm. just need enough to show the point of what you're doing. Yeah. People okay. want to visualize the visualize, product. And, and, and that's why I work in graphic in design graphic first design. Yeah. because I want to show what it will look like when people get it. People don't want to see a bunch of block text. Oh, I do right. see questions. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, um, <laughs> so when you're working on a project, uh, do you ever incorporate any kind of acceptance or user-centered design kind of stuff? What I always understand, like, even in the video game industry, tutorials should be done last. Because you don't have everything fleshed out. Because it's never the first level. Because the first level is what you make, and then you make the game from that. You don't want the first level to be your tutorial, because you're still working on the mechanics. Um, so you want to make sure... Sorry, pull, totally pulling video game references and video game industry stuff. But you don't... Once you have your entire game rule set system figured out, then you can go to the beginning of the book and say, this is here how the game will flow. Because now we've played it. We know how the mechanics work out. We know what the relationship between the GM and the player are. Not Because 
maybe there's a feature that totally screws with that that you didn't add to later. What if GM intrusions didn't come until at the end of development of Numenera? Now they have to find... Now they have... If they already wrote the section in the beginning of the tutorial, now they have to figure out a way to shoehorn that in. Yeah, yep. change your layout. Theorycrafting yeah, only gets so, you so, so far. So what I've done with mechanics writing is the first thing I do is I spreadsheet and math the hell out of it because I'm an engineering <laughs> dork with a PhD in material science and a deep familiarity with that kind of thing. So it's, that's my home. If you've seen my GURPS writing, yeah. That's it's an Excel me. spreadsheet. No. Yeah, uh, you're, not, you're not wrong. Uh, the Deadly Spring You should do one. an RPG on Excel. Oh, no, yeah. no. <laughs> um, but then what I do is, go, is go. I run tests, right? I run actual tests with my gaming friends, many of whom are also writers. But I'm in control of that. Right, so I run that, I see what happens. Then I give it to somebody and say, run this for me, and I will not be in the room, blind test it. And stuff will see happen play with it. that mm -hmm. you don't expect. And then you take all of that feedback, and then you say, how are people interacting with my game, and then you write your how-to. I, I published a game, Scavenger RPG, and I didn't touch the writing at all. Like That was my Swedish friend who wrote everything. And so... Last year at Gen Con, I ran the game. And that was the first time I ever ran the game. And I had a question. I was like, shoot, how does this work? You know, I should probably figure that out for my next game because it's kind of important. Like, how are these roles added up? Are they added up or done individually for failures and successes? Um, so definitely test it before going into it. And that was actually something, fortunately, that was a playtest document, not the final document. So it could be fixed. I'm back. It's pretty depends. open. Yeah, um, artists get usually have more leeway than yeah. writers, yeah. in my experience. Same thing for graphics. It's probably designers. on their website. And yeah. keep updating nine, your portfolio. Nine out of ten times. Yeah. Yeah. They're always it's, looking for more artists. Very infrequently will there be like we're open for more writers. Uh, when you're if you're shopping a game around the publishers, uh, what is the generic contract of where who owns what? Like, if I shop a game, so this is like the first of. IP or something, do they own all the publishing rights for oncoming ones, or am I able to keep... So it depends on your relationship with the person you're licensing with. Um, like, starting out very aggressive. So normally, right off the bat, um, depending on if are you going to continue producing product for that, and like, they're just going to be the publisher of those books, or are they going to be <coughs> the ones that will take on your game concept and run with it. Like a finished product, you have a finished game mm -hmm. called uh, Jingo or something. Okay. And so you want a, them to publish Jingo. And do I have the right to make Jingo too? Probably not. Usually okay. in that sort of arrangement, they will well, own everything mm, for okay. a certain amount of time. But um, it depends. So, so on a realistic level, like if you're like, I'm going to go to Wizards of the Coast and I'm going to pitch this game, they, they don't. Sixth edition. They they don't do that. Well, no, um, game. yeah, no, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. No, it wouldn't. They usually like, don't you could have the, the most awesome game in the world. Wizards will not look at it. I'm talking about lower tier. Yeah. Publishers. Now you might be able to get small press partners, like like yeah. these two. Like you might be able to be like, hey, I want to do a partnership with you, and you can negotiate kind of with that. So but that's the sort of thing you're looking for. Yeah, typically, like for what I've done, like for Atlas Anomalia, my lot, most recent Kickstarter, which is Beast Variants, I have an agreement with my artist that we have a revenue share. She illustrates the entire book, and I handle the writers, the fulfillment, the distribution. I get, um, I get a cut, and she gets a cut, and that 
cut is negotiated based on how much her contribution is to the project. In this instance, I actually pitched the project to her. Um, she just did an art piece that everyone loved, and I said, I have a project that you, that you could do. Like, I have a project concept that I think you would love, and she was thrilled about it because it got her into the industry since she was just returning into art in the industry. And she was totally up for it. So we, in this case, it was just art per piece, not revenue share. And so um, she's getting paid for all the art she's doing. Um, but in other cases, we do have a royalty for other products developed with using her art. So if you get a publishing contract and they're going to publish your game, do they own that game? And yes. On what you on the in, this, just, in this specific instance, for me, yes, Metal Weave Games owns the art. Um, no, no, the full game. Yeah, in this case, yeah, it would have been the full game. Um, and then usually there's a clause so for... I wouldn't have anything to do... I couldn't touch that IP again. So usually there's a clause in terms of if you want to buy it back or if you want to cancel. Like, there's termination um, sides to it, so that's something you really want to be cognizant of. Of If this isn't going well, what's the backup plan? Uh, term, or how long will they own it for? Will they own it for a year or own it in all perpetuity? Um, that's another huge thing, especially in game circles, um, because, like... I have a publishing agreement, and it's only for one year, or actually it's for two years, um, to see how that publishing relationship works between the two of us. If it doesn't go, if it goes well, we will renew the contract for another two years, or for longer. If not, then they will find another publisher to do it, or do it themselves. Um, the, the short answer is there's not a template, and it's what you negotiate. Right? Yeah. There, there's no, like, baseline yeah. generic contract. No. Everyone that I've worked for, the <laughs> there contracts is no such thing as a crazy different. But really, it's going to be you working with other small houses and other people. Um, now and and is, that can be to a great advantage, definitely. Yeah, there is some things where there'll be like, like well, things that I would consider is, sure, if you want to keep producing stuff and it's a profitable line, like, sure, I'll publish for you, we'll do a Kickstarter. And if it's profitable, we can, I will continue to let you create for it and I will be your publisher. And so essentially, you're like an employee uh, I'm using okay. quotes. I'm using big uh, quotes here. Work for, uh, work for, work for hire, work for where hire. you, where we will manage your IP, and you will still have a say in what goes on. I don't know, so that's what I'm doing with David. Yeah. So it's essentially like an approval basis. Like, perhaps the publisher has an idea of what to do with your IP. We can pitch it to you and say, like, you know, what do you think? Or you have an idea to pitch, and we will have approval on what to do next with it. So, and again, that goes back to terms and. All matterness of contracts. Um, there's actually two great GDC talks on um, uh, from a lawyer named Chris Reed, R E I D. Um, he's actually my current lawyer um, for that reason, because uh, he's a games lawyer, um, mostly in the video game industry. But for tabletop, it's the same thing. I and mean, I'm looking at licensing images, contract work for hire, um, and your, then releasing work to yeah. the contract. Or, your best bet though might be to partner with someone rather than try to. Yeah, like partner with a, kid, or a, a publisher. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, like, and that sort of thing happens, um, especially now with the age of Kickstarter and smaller presses and stuff like that. That's like, pretty much like where I'm could, going. Yeah, yeah, you could. You could <laughs> I am becoming like the Kickstarter him. publisher. And, that's kind of what I'm doing too. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and Magpie's guys, even been doing yeah. it too. And that's, but that's a different thing than yeah, than. What like, exactly are you doing when you're partnering with them instead of just? It's uh, so instead of a I am releasing, it's we are in partnership. It's, it's, a legal, okay, so. it's a legal definition of that we are creating an entity that is a partnership between me and company. 
and we agree that we are splitting revenue, we are making decisions equally, and that I have a say in decisions, and I am responsible for creating the product by these deadlines or milestones, and they are responsible for delivering the product and selling it. At some point, you could maybe buy them out if you wanted to... There, I mean, it depends on the relationship. So yes, you could say that after two years, um, this will come back, or we will revise and have termination clauses of, oh, if someone wants to back out, it will fall back to the creative person, but the books will still be owned by the publisher since they upfronted the cost for the books. I just really want to emphasize what Shane said. There is no template. Let me say it again. There is no template. (laughs) You will sit down with a small person, like me, literally, physically, and company, but you'll sit down with with a potential partner, and you will structure a contract. Maybe they paid for a contract template, maybe not. You will not sit down with Wizards of the Coast and tell them what to do. Yeah, <laughs> right? Or Hasbro. Right? But whatever, right? Or Hasbro, whatever. So the thing is, is you're going to sit down and you say, this is kind of what I want, and you'll think about it and say, well, that's all for you and none for me, so no. So let's What's do the this share on What's the share? How do we do this? You may have the IP, and that may be in the contract that you have the rights to the IP, but I get to sell it. I may say I only want to sell it, or you may say, "Well, no, I need to sell through RPG now." Whatever, right? Mm-hmm. It's going to be a where discussion. Where the revenue splits are. Where the where revenue splits the... are. What's mm-hmm. it? So it's yeah. going to be a discussion, and to expect that someone's going to come up with this is the way things are done, it's not that kind of industry until you're maybe these guys. Well, and and for the record, um, we can't give you any advice on what is a good terms. Right. You'll notice we're avoiding that on purpose. <laughs> um, does anyone have any final questions? Yeah, what time is it? Oh, 53. Did you say that Kickstarter and crowdfunding has lowered your initial investment? Yes. Oh, my God, yes. Investment of art development, you know, just for 12 people. And, yeah, that really tanked. They didn't like it. And, yes, so, like, for Baby Best, Jerry, I spent $1,500 for art. I ended up spending twenty five or not $25,000. Uh, second one spent 25000 The first one I spent around $16,000 on art. Um, so yes, it definitely changes the game in terms of upfront investments. I can concept a product, why I work in InDesign, I know some people may cringe, but I can create a product from that and give people a vision of what I'm trying to create. I actually didn't have background writing done for the Baby Bestiary. I only had the concept of what we're trying to accomplish with that, and I delivered that through the graphical layout of what the book will look like when you open it and what to expect when you get into it. So I actually didn't have any writing. I don't trust my writing. It sucks. Um, and so I presented the best pitch to the product I can with the art assets I invested, and from there it kind of exploded into a thing. And, and I did it for volume two, and it worked again. Kickstarter really works, especially for niche markets or if it's a cool idea. Pugmire. Yeah, That seriously. thing went off like gangbusters. Mm, seriously. Um, that would have been a hard sell to like any game Anybody, company. Yeah, yeah. I want to do Eddie D&D had an idea. with dogs. Right. Yeah, but you know what? <laughs> and people, evil cats. Right. Yeah, people love their dogs. People love evil cats, and they, that shit went off. Right. Um, you might have the idea that's the million dollar Kickstarter idea. The, the one thing that I, I'll say, and we have a panel yeah. next about Kickstarters. So that's, three, right? Yeah. 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 There's just the one thing I'll say: the more effort you put in, so that the customer can see that you're going to be there on time with what you promised or early, the more effort that you can put in ahead of time, the better you can do. I think I'm going to be twenty or $25,000 into Dragon Heresy uh, so that I can hopefully, if it does well, buy $50,000 worth of art 
because I want it to be a beautiful book, right? And um, it's a big book. And it's a big book. It's 400,000 words. Um, so, yeah, three. based on fifth edition. Anyway, the point is, I'm putting a lot of money up front so that people will look at this and say, oh, he just needs to buy the art. I can play this game with blank spaces. And on the flip because side... I'm, because I'm, I'm tiny, right? There's no faith. I'm not Kevin Crawford where I say, oh, I've got something. Or Monty Cook. Or yeah. Monty Cook. Mm-hmm. I have an oh, idea. Please shut up and take Two my million. money. As you start, this is a $300 you're to game. Yourself. As you yeah. deliver over and over again, people will throw Just an idea. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, on the flip side, you could literally just do, like, what I would see of his project is one, like... The base rules of the ash can, like yeah. you could do the ash can, an illustrated version of that with the amount he's investing, right. and have that become a you know not a cult classic, but essentially get it out there, find right. the community, and then bring it up from there. That's yeah. what Kevin told me to do, <laughs> and he is wise. Yes, I'm thinking right. And, right? Um, <laughs> and sometimes a game that maybe didn't do well the first time oh, in a couple yes. years, Seven C. Seven C is a perfect example of that. IP Labs, he got the IP back because they weren't doing anything with it, and then did a relaunch, and lo and behold, yeah, doing good. it's doing all right. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, running, we're out running out of time. Thank you all. Yeah. Thank you guys. It's You've a great tickets. time to break into the industry. You can yeah. do it, y'all. Yep. And freelancing, yes. Do everything. I mean, heck, yeah, that's how the main D&D so writer is. No problem. Great. I forget yeah. his name. Yeah. You said you were going to be putting this online. Is I, that... I am. Is it the website? Yeah.